your Bibles with me to today's lesson text. We are in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for any of them, not even in front of the door. And Jesus was speaking the word to them. That some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And the paralytic stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed, and they all glorified God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts we may bring honor and glory to you. Amen. So, Mark here gets into what are called the five conflicts in Galilee that will dominate chapter 2 through about chapter 316. He's going to go through five different episodes of him either debating with the Pharisees or the scribes, and Mark doesn't really relate them temporally to what's going on in the gospel, except for the fact that they're in Galilee. But we do see in verse 1 a little bit of a connection. Uh, we ended last week with Jesus healing the leper, and getting so popular in the towns that he couldn't go into them anymore. And he had to go out into the wilderness to preach because that was the only way he didn't get mobbed. And they were coming out to him out in the wilderness just on his own. But we have here, it comes back that Jesus returned to Capernaum after a few days, and it was reported that he was at home. Uh, the Greek there is more likely he was just in a house. And from what we learned of the disciples in the last chapter, he's probably in Peter and Andrew's house. Jesus is being a house guest. He's trying to probably recuperate from doing his ministry. And as is now going to be just a cornerstone of Jesus preaching and healing, it was reported that he was at home, so many gathered around, that there was no longer room for them. So if Jesus wanted to take a relaxing sabbatical, that didn't happen the second they saw Jesus, and the whole entire little house got mobbed. And I'm very grateful today that we have our new air conditioners, even if it's taking us a little bit of a while how to figure them out. 
But this was the Mediterranean, and it's always hot in the Mediterranean. And once you're in a nice crowded room, which doesn't have modern windows and the rest of it, there's a lot of breath and people in a big sweltering environment just mobbing Jesus to hear what he has to say. And they're even crowding the door and pressing in. And Mark tells us what's going on there, that Jesus was speaking the word to them. Mark just shorthands what, he's, what we've already looked at a couple of times, that Jesus is preaching, repent, the kingdom is come, uh, turn and be saved. Now I did a little bit of in-depth reading on that, and I just wanted to kind of add some color to that that I hadn't quite figured out yet till this week. And Jesus' day, the rabbinical literature on repentance was very much that it was a process. That you, you sinned, then you did the repentance process of going to the temple, off, giving the offering, and then going back to your, to your regular life. And repentance was something that was woven into just the Jewish religious experience. If you live, you repent. One of the things that set Jesus and John the Baptist apart from that and characterized as preaching of the word that Jesus was doing was repentance was not a process for Jesus. Repentance for Jesus was a decision and it was the born-again kind of evangelical conviction. That's what Jesus wanted. That's what John was preaching when he was preaching repent. It wasn't this idea that okay, I'm going to become a good religious person now, and as part of that, I'll repent whenever I do something wrong. Jesus' statement was much more to the effect, you repent, and if you're still having to work on it, you probably haven't repented yet. A much deeper challenge, but a convicting challenge, and that's what the people are coming in and pressing in to hear Jesus speak. So in the background of this, last week we looked at how Jesus heals the leper and it kind of obfuscates the fact that he's preaching the word. The leper goes around and says, Jesus is a healer! And now Jesus can't go into any of the towns. Well, now we have Jesus preaching the word and everyone's crowding in to hear that. And we have some folks who show up to get a healing. Four men carrying their friend. And I can say it, finding four friends that are willing to drag you anywhere is a rarity in life. <laughs> to find four friends who would pick up a paralytic who can't take care of himself, can't do anything except be nursed by others, is a very rare thing indeed. And so these men, drawn to love with this friend and, and doing this great act, they have carried the guy to where they hear this Jesus is. I mean, they are going on just word of mouth and, and hope. And they get to this building, and there is a huge crowd. And Mark just shorthands things. He tells us that there's no room in the building. The front of the door is jammed up. But I'm sure there's four guys that are carrying their buddy where it's not being the most polite and trying to get into this room. And they get nowhere. It's probably a good metaphor for today's church in some of that. No one comes to Jesus lest a friend brings them. That's part of the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Holy Spirit has been sent to the church 
for the church to proclaim. If Peter doesn't go, if those apostles at Pentecost don't go, no one comes in. And there's no one that comes to Jesus for healing or the gospel besides some friends pick them up and carry them to Christ. And I will even be bold and say that if you are a Christian who lives the, the normal moral compass and tries to be a good person, there's times where your non-Christian friends and trying to get them to church, they're pretty annoying. They're kind of like the paralytic man. You, you offer them, well, here's some spiritual things, try reading the Bible, try praying, and they just can't do it. it it's not in them. It's kind of like telling the paralytic on your own, get up and walk. So what they need is they need the Christian, they need a believer to pick them up and pray them towards Jesus. And perhaps you finally manage to get them into church. But what do many hurting people sadly find in churches, as pastors often hear? There's a crowd. There's people pressing in. And in the interesting way, there's people pressing in here to hear the word. You can find churches where people are coming in to hear Christ's word, which is what Christ came to preach. They're doing the right thing. And yet at the same time, the lame guy and his four friends are out in the foyer, as it were, the narthex, trying to get in. Now, most churches, we don't have attendance like this, so they can probably walk right up. But these guys, seeing how things are going, they take matters into their own hand, and they climb up onto the house. And these Mediterranean homes were not built to seismic codes. <laughs> and the, the roofing of the period was mud and straw that was kind of just mixed together and thrown on there. And we, we never hear Peter's reaction if this is his house to them digging a hole through his roof. <laughs> but these guys go ahead and engage in a little bit of larceny. And they take the leper and they plop him right in front of Jesus. So Jesus is sitting here preaching. And they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay right in front of Jesus. This is a huge statement of Jesus. We believe you can heal this guy. Do it. And so Jesus responds that, that in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, full stop. We're in Mark, and we're in this theme of we're not trying to run to who we know Jesus is. And unfortunately, the way our English Bibles tend to translate this, it assumes we know who Jesus is. A big part of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is kind of obfuscating about who he is. If you're a believer, he's revealed to be the Son of God. If you're not a believer, he's not revealed to be. He's not revealed to you because you don't accept him. So what Jesus says here in the Greek is using that that Israelite desire to not say God and respect the divine name. And what he's really saying is to the effect of, Son, God forgives you. Jesus is speaking in divine prerogative. We all know who he is. Well, he's God saying, God forgives you. But Jesus is here. They've dropped down the guy on the mat, and he says, God forgives you. Not necessarily the most controversial statement to make in the middle of what's basically a religious service. And that's why, verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? What they're really calling out is Jesus, by saying that the man has been forgiven, is taking on the traditional prophetic role. There's lots of prophets in the Old Testament who combine healing and forgiveness into one account. The connection of sin and death and disease in the Old Testament is very solid. So when Jesus says that, Son, God forgives you, he's saying the same thing in effect as Nathan tells David, David, God forgives you. It means he's got a word from above, he hears it, and he relies it. So it's a thus says the Lord that he ascribes getting mad at. And Jesus in verse 8 perceived in his spirit that they were discussing this question, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Verse 9 gets to where it stains even the modern Christian. Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or God forgives you. Or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk. So now Jesus kind of throws down the gauntlet of how religion typically works. If somebody comes to church and they're hurting and they, they come up and they talk to me, it's very easy, or if they come talk to you, it's very easy in a church to say, well, God forgives you. We say it all the time. Every time we pray or get to a verse on forgiveness or talk about Jesus, it's forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. We talk about it lightly. But unless you are unless you are in a church that is very charismatic, any idea that you would say during a prayer time to someone who comes in and asks for healing who's paralytic Stand up, take your mat, and walk. That would take a lot more for us to be willing to go out and say during the prayer meeting, wouldn't it? So Jesus is pointing out to the scribes who are getting mad at Jesus saying, God forgives you. Well, how many of you are going to tell him to get up and walk? Which one is actually harder? But balanced in this, Mark gives us Christians a bit of a commentary. So in verse 10, this, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, that's a commentary just for the readers. So verse 10 is, is not something that Jesus is adding here. And, and if you have a modern translation, you probably have quotation marks at the, verse, at the end of verse 9 just to cut that little bit out so you don't think Jesus is is here so early in his ministry saying, I'm the son of man, I'm God's son, right in chapter 2. Jesus says to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And the guy stands up. So Jesus here is challenging the scribes' assumptions. Jesus is saying that forgiveness and the healing that is working, they're tied together. There's no separation between the two, and Mark is letting us know that this is going on because Christ has come and he has authority over sin and the forgiveness of sin. And the very things that is that his enemies are calling him out on, who can forgive sins but God alone, is a testimony to who he is. But Mark is also using a bit of grammar here to show that it's not quite out in the open exactly as we are reading it ourselves. 
Jesus is here saying, God forgives you your sins, and giving a little bit of wiggle room for this question to go about, who is Jesus, and to give room for some of that controversy. And as we look forward in the Gospel of Mark, verse 7 also highlights how it's going to end. When they're saying, who's this fellow saying that God's forgiving him? That's blasphemy. That will be the charge, ultimately, that Jesus is brought up and executed on. And it is when Jesus is executed in the Gospel of Mark that the soldier finally confesses, this is the Son of God. And so Mark is combining that healing and gospel ministry together. And this ending in verse 12, people have always said that Mark was just being over generous. Because when the man stands up and takes the mat and walks out before all of them, they were all amazed and they all glorified God and everybody thinks, well, that counts the scribes out. They've been grouching and they've been fighting. No, the scribes likewise, they see someone's told their sins are forgiven and they get up and walk, which is God verifying what's been said. And people don't just get off a paralytic mats and walk home every day. Of course, even Jesus' enemies say, thank you, Lord, for doing this wonderful thing. May your name be praised. Because all Jesus had said that they heard was God forgives you. So both sides of this debate, those who, as the church knows from that context in verse 10, those who see Jesus as the Son of God, as the gospel decision makers, they see in this Jesus saying, with his authority, stand up and walk. But because of the way he worded it, those on the other side also hear but with a slight difference, God forgives your sins, stand up and walk. And the difference between those two will run through the whole gospel. And the division between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, which are just getting started as we look at Jesus eating sinners next week. Let us pray.